0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: As we close out the month of May, we wanted to take time to acknowledge that May is Mental Health Month, and more and more athletes and high-profile influencers are acknowledging mental health and their own personal mental health issues, which is still a topic that many feel uncomfortable talking about. Maybe it's tough to admit, maybe it's embarrassing, Regardless, mental health, while it's growing in conversation, is still a topic that a lot of people have a challenging time in developing. So today we're going to hear some very important advice and insight from some special guests. Hi everybody, I'm Stacey Pates. Glad to have you on this episode. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, iHeart, and TuneIn. We've talked about this before. We're all in the same storm, just different vessels, different boats. It affects all of us just in different ways. There is a higher than ever unemployment rate, higher than ever suicide rate. We understand our own struggles better than someone else's. As athletes, that is your release. That is your job. That is your passion. You are all working in your passion and to have that on hold and so uncertain. Describe the mental weight that's attached with the uncertainty.
2: It's definitely a roller coaster. Um, I've tried to view the positives and hold on to the positives um, in the situation. And like you said, we're all going through the same thing in in unique ways. Um, And I know I can only speak for myself that Um, most days are good. And then there's other days that are hard. And I, I've been fortunate as an athlete who I thrive in structure and knowing my schedule, knowing, okay, season training camp's going to start in two weeks. This is what I got to do to prepare for it. This is how hard I got to go. This is what I got to focus on and leaning into that routine. So not having that, not having Um, an aim necessarily, or a specific time or window of beginning. Um, It's been hard to find that rhythm and to hold on to that rhythm. And um, mentally, um, I'm so used to seasons. I I live from season to season, off season, preseason, season. season. That's been my life. And um, in a lot of ways, um, I, I see now how fortunate I am to always have been working towards something, to be, be, be preparing for uh, the next game, to be preparing for training camp, to be preparing for season, playoffs, whatever it is, always something in the back of my mind to motivate me. And now it's become, how do I take care of myself as a person? How do I stay fit? How do I make sure that I'm good mentally? What do I need to do spiritually? I think i i took it for granted working from season to season so whether it was preseason, uh the season playoffs and then off season there was always a structure and a format to how i approached my life and sometimes there was craziness to it but for the most part i worked my way around practices games workouts um and then obviously fitting seeing friends and family and all that stuff into it but now it's just become um in a way aimless and Uh, I don't, I'm not good at functioning, uh, without that structure. I'm getting better at it. It's, it's allowed me to add another layer of self-discipline. Um, but there's definitely been tough days that have come with this. Um, just trying to maintain that big picture perspective of we're going to be playing again one day. And ultimately right now, this is about discovering another dimension of how to take care of myself as a person. So it's been a, a tough journey, but I've learned a lot. Um, and so, uh, mental health is so important. All of the overwhelming emotions that have come with this, um, and we're all experiencing them. And so, um, it's okay to have those days and to to cry on my mom's shoulder. That happens too, and um, to yell at my dad. <laughs> I <need> to yell <laughs> at my dad, um, and he he understands that as well. And so. Uh, there's different ways to process the emotions, but I think what I've learned is how important it is to process them and not to, to swallow them and to avoid them and ignore them, but to really allow myself um, to feel it all and to be real about it. And um, I know that that's helped a lot to bounce back quicker and to understand, you know what, today was tough and today won, but tomorrow I'm going to come back and it's going to be better and we're going to make it great and I'm going to laugh and it's we're going to be okay. And so it's been a journey for all of us, to say the least.
1: Does the league have anything in place for this particular situation? Clearly, we're in an unprecedented time. Mental health is very important across the board, no matter what you do as a as a vocation. What does the league have in place to, to support you all?
2: They've sent us emails with resources, um, I think, for... Uh, like mental health resources, um, how to, how to, who to, and where to reach out to if you need that help, um, and to not hesitate. Um, I know that the league has done that, the unit has done that, our teams specifically, our organizations have also done that. Um, when it comes to, if you need something, please, like, don't hesitate to reach out to talk about it um, to any of us. We want to be there to help you. Um, and so I think the main idea has to has been to keep that line of communication open and honest and um, to be available for us uh, for whatever we might be going through or need to talk about or need help with.
1: We are honored to welcome our first guest, Dr. Shamar Charles. He's the senior health journalist for NBC News based in the epicenter, New York City. Doctor, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: It's our pleasure. For many, the term mental illness only applies to cases of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, disassociative identity disorder, etc. But thankfully, when, when we think about mental health disorders today, it's becoming less st- stigmatized, but there's still that lingering notion that mental illness is a sign of weakness, and people should just quote, get over it, or a title given to those that are just crazy. Why, doctor, is mental illness consistently misunderstood?
3: I think mental illness is misunderstood because we're still living in the weird sports sports culture of pushing through gladiator mentality. If you have any sort of mental issue, mental crisis, or mental disorder, um, we almost think of it as like coming into a situation with baggage. And it's not really baggage, right? Right. If we had a physical ailment, someone wouldn't say like, oh, because you have a physical ailment, you're, you can't recover from it and we wouldn't be able to hire you. But if you have mental, quote unquote, baggage, we say, oh, this person is, is too much of a liability, too much of a risk to do the job. And so in many ways in sports culture, we value physical health over mental health. And I think that there's a cognitive dissonance between the two. There are other terms that we use, like burnout, or sometimes we might use the term anxiety. And we kind of use those as catch-all global phrases for when someone is a little bit out of it. But the reality is mental health uh, disorders, many people characterize it as like rotting from the inside. It's like if you don't really tackle the root cause, the root problem if you don't provide people with adequate resources oftentimes it's a slow deterioration as opposed to the acute um, deterioration that we see when you have an injury like when you break your leg you know for a while you won't be able to walk but we don't really see that slow deterioration that happens in mental health and we don't have enough research that links slow deterioration of mental health with modified or slowed or regressed um, physical performance
1: what is so important is that people recognize if you have a mental issue an instability, it could be anything. It could be anxiety, depression. Don't overlook that. It's so valuable Absolutely. to dig into that and to find the root because when you find the root and you pull that thing out, here comes health on the other side of that. Here comes joy on the other side of that. What have you seen in, in just some examples as you've moved through with the medical community?
3: What I've actually seen is that many people don't see their initial bouts of trauma as trauma. So that's the first thing. I think that there is a little bit of um, lack of identification or proper identification of those red flags. I think the second thing is the stigma really does play a role into it because there are a lot of repressed traumas and repressed feelings that come with mental health disorders. So one of the things um, that I oftentimes ask someone is, how's your day, right? The reason why that's important, other than the fact that it's incredibly kind to do so, is you're asking someone, was there anything at the root of what happened today that is causing you to feel a certain way? So, And you can just feel that with someone's body language. And so oftentimes, we as a community need to do a better job of checking in with one another and making sure that we're asking on a day-to-day basis and not asking sort of retroactively after something has happened. Now we want to know like, oh my gosh, what happened? Or I saw those signs and I never said anything. I think that it's easier to have conversations about mental health when we're constantly checking in when that's part of our uh, routine. And then the last thing that I would say is, sometimes there's an element of distraction we can we can look at the root causes and we can and we can identify but at the end of the day i think that we have to put the onus in two places we have to put the onus on all of the institutions around us whether it's the educational institutions uh, whether it's corporate jobs whether it's teams we have to split the responsibility across all of society to To help people identify the roots, because it's hard when you're in a situation to see the roots for yourself. So we have to we have to split the responsibility across uh, society. Just on a perceptual uh, level, we have to destigmatize it. We have to get away from the from the you oh, always got to be perfect. There's no second chances. Uh, mentality that we have the the perception of uh, the perception of perfection. We got to get away from that a little bit. We kind of live in a dual cancel culture and compare culture, um, and I think that oftentimes that masks a lot of issues for for people. They're so wrapped up in the distraction of being part of those cultures that um, we're we're not always doing all of the work that we need to do to sort of identify. Um, some of the issues. But again, it's not to put the onus just on people and it's not to put the onus on um, corporations and jobs and those environments and churches and all different types of organized institutions, but it's really to say that we all play a part in destigmatizing mental illness And we have to figure out what are some of the acute day-to-day check-in things that we can do and what are some of the long-term policies we can put in place to help people identify the root causes of mental illness and get get the help that they need.
1: As we've all been experiencing the effects of this world pandemic, what's not to be minimized is the depth that this experience has had on many lives, families, business owners, companies. Describe how mental illness or mental health rather, is being impacted during a time like this?
3: So during a time like this, I think it gives us all an opportunity to reflect, right? And some of the reflection is peaceful and some of the reflection is not. When you look at the mirror, you don't always see the thing that you wanna see. Uh, and so I think that when you look at the pandemic in its totality, you almost have to look at each individual sliver of society and to see what they're going through. There's a term that we learn in, uh, in, as healthcare professionals, what's yours is yours, right? You have, you have people in lower socioeconomic status groups that have a completely different stress profile than those at the upper end, and yet we see illness on both extremes of that. And so I think what we're seeing is we're seeing that the pandemic is really putting pressure at the extremes right it's putting an economic pressure at the extreme you're seeing um you're seeing business owners forfeiting a lot of of, a lot of profit and you're seeing that the essential workers that are bringing a sense of normalcy to much of our lives you're seeing that they are being taxed right they're being taxed to their wits end and so what you're seeing with the pandemic most of all is you're seeing that the economic pressure is causing people to crack to crack in a way that we've never seen before It's a crack in a way that you we used to read about with the great depression with the vietnam war right and and that's what you're you're seeing and what we're and what we're trying to do during this time of social distancing is we're trying to have people go back to the old school way and that's tough because we have all been conditioned to like, love, and appreciate this new school way. I have all the freedoms in the world. I can do whatever I want. And now we have people telling us that we can't do what we want. There are small things that we can do every day that help our our mental health. I I would be remiss to say that it's that easy. But what I will say is I, I will say that the suggestions that we as clinicians need to have, and we as people in the media need to have for people who are dealing with uh, mental health crises during the pandemic is to say, there's not a one size fits all answer to how you to how you deal with this. Someone who is living on Long Island and who has a huge backyard and you know can run around with the dog and has a lot of space is very different than the person who's living. I live in Harlem right now. It's very different than the person who's living in Harlem with 10 people cramped up in a one or two bedroom apartment. So that, those, are, those are very different. And still, we want to always tell people that there are always solutions, that there are always things that you can do to help your condition and to make it better. So we really want to make sure that we're providing people with the resources or at least access to the resources that, that they need so that they can actually stem, stem the tide.
1: Our advertising partner, betonline.ag, premiered their special, The Final Dance, with roundtable interviews from ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Craig Hodges, and Ron Harper as they discussed ESPN's The Last Dance, The Jordan Documentary. This clip features Bill Cartwright, who answers the question, was it an accurate representation of who Scottie Pippen was as a teammate
0: and as a player? Here's Bill's answer. It's interesting that when uh, you know the play where Pip did not come back in the game, that was Pip's best year. Pip had uh, had fallen into a leadership, ball into a leadership role. Yeah, he played great. Uh, so, to me, uh, people make mistakes and then you move off of them. So. Um, you know, Scotty. I think Scotty's got a big heart. Scotty, uh, you know, when I first got to the Bulls, he uh, he wasn't a great shooter, Skinny, extraordinarily talented. So everything he had, he worked for. So, um, you know, was, for me, was a great teammate. And um, like I said, it was one man's uh, show, and that's what they saw. Him. But uh, but that's not really reality.
1: What a great opportunity for our advertising partner, BetOnline, to have a chat with those guys. Head on over to BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and use the promo code MYPOD100. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. We all face challenges in life and emotions are our guide. And these are Uh, not to be ignored, honoring the fact that we all have different challenges and we handle them and react to them differently. Once we identify our emotional disruption, what are some specific tools that we can utilize to cope with and rise above the situation?
3: The very best thing that um, people can do is to find ways to interpersonally connect with others. I mean, I don't think that there's any better way. I could tell people, read books out the wazoo, I can tell you to go and, and take a walk, but uh, all of the studies and all of the data that I've, I've participated in and that, and that I've read and that I've spent years studying, none of those uh, measures takes the place of interpersonal communication. There's absolutely nothing, there's nothing like it. Right now, for many of us, we have, you know, Google Hangouts and Zoom and and Microsoft Teams and all these other ways in which we can connect and we can see people. There are really small ways in which we can drive and push ourselves to continue to have interpersonal connection. I just don't think that there's uh, any substitute for it. It's really, the the best thing in the world um a second thing is um turn off the news i'm a news person i'm saying turn off the news but it's not just turning off the news that puts you at net neutral you want to turn off the news and then you want to replace it with some other activity um that's positive and then the last thing that i would say believe it or not is eating healthy Um, you know uh there are a lot of a lot of our stress is not just predicated on what our brain is doing, but it's also predicated on what the rest of the body's producing. And so there are different stress hormones that are produced when we feel like we're in an anxious environment. But that happens on a macro level and it happens on a micro level. Stuff we put in our body causes us to go up and down, up and down, up and down. And that up and down, up and down, up and down actually makes us anxious. And so it becomes, a a vicious cycle. When people say, oh my gosh, Dr. Charles, I'm hangry. That's real. When people are homeless outside, seeing that negative stimuli, that's real. Those things are things that we cannot minimize. And those are things that, but we have to address it again, contextually and do something for yourself that replaces the negative stimuli with a positive stimuli.
1: Dr. Charles, appreciate your insight. It's, it's brilliant, as are you, and thank you for doing all the wonderful things that you're doing in our community. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, being a Derek Fisher fan, living in uh, New York. You and I had talked about that briefly. Now, of course, he's the head coach here in Los Angeles for our Sparks. What is it about Derek Fisher as a coach that really has you on board with him?
3: I think Derek gets it. I think he gets it because he's failed. I think when you fail at a, at, a, at a place, you really do a lot of the work that comes in trying to get better. He has the type of demeanor that will be very successful um, in the game, not just in the women's game, but in the men's game. I think that he's incredibly um, hardworking. He's in- incredibly bright. I think he has all of the tools to be a successful head coach plus management has brought in a slew of new players with great track records. And so management is also helping to instill his philosophy at the player level. And so when you have player coaches and you have Coach Derek Fisher together, it seems like it's a match made in heaven. A
1: doctor, a sports fan. I don't think it could get any better with you, doctor. I don't think, <laughs> wait, but it can. It can because you are the newest member of the Believe podcast family. Yay! I'm Thank so you. excited for you. Dr. Shamard Charles, his podcast will... Be premiering in coming weeks, and I will definitely be tweeting and Instagramming about it. So stay tuned for that. So happy to have you as part of the Believe Podcast Network family. You can follow Dr. Charles on Twitter. It's at Dr. Charles underscore NBC and at. Uh, ask Dr. Charles on Instagram as well. Thank you again so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about all things medical and a little sports as well. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much, Stacey. I really appreciate it. And thanks to all the listeners. Uh, Without you guys, there is no us.
1: And we'll be back after this short break. Welcome back everyone to Believe in Sparks. We wanted to bring another perspective to this conversation and joining us now is Matthew Pates. Matthew is a personal development coach with a background in psychology, focusing on early childhood survival patterns and root cause emotional trauma. And one of the quotes that Matthew lives by is, I believe in a world where we live from our creation, not our conditioning. Matthew, welcome to our show. We're very happy to have you today. Hello, hello. I love that quote also because it it puts us right at the rim uh, to talk about what I want to talk about with you specifically, our conditioning. When you Mm -hmm. think about athletes specifically, my heart breaks for the NCAA athletes that didn't have a season, that can't have a graduation, the Olympians who had worked their entire lives to make it to the olympic games and now that's been thwarted and we don't know uh when that is going to happen and as we continue to wait and believe for this WNBA season to tip off there's still a lot of uncertainty and with uncertainty comes that imbalance of emotions and as we're talking about may and mental health awareness month What things can you draw a line to or a correlation with in terms of what we've been going through as a society and how that relates specifically to athletes?
4: Absolutely. And I appreciate this question because I think it's so important, uh, not just for athletes, but for every single one of us to understand that this is an experience that we're all having. But when you're talking about athletes and you share the word conditioning, we often think about their physical conditioning right like it's a very easy thing to understand we train we lift we practice you know all to get in better shape to be in better conditioning um, but what is often overlooked is our mental conditioning our uh, the conditioning that we were uh, brought up with you know most of these athletes have been playing since they could walk and they only understand their lives with this sport in it. And really what that has created is, is an expectation of structure. You know, we talk about seasons, right? There's, a, there's an off-season, there's a, a pre-season, there's a main season, there's a post-season. We talk about seasons. And what this pandemic has done, for the majority of us, obviously I obviously understand that there are, are many that are experiencing something uh, much, much worse, you know, with the health conditions but for those who are just really being uh, faced with the disruption that is their structure you know I don't want to take away the struggle that they're going through and uh, you know when you think about I guess a better way to describe conditioning would be uh, expectations you know we have an expectation of when we're going to perform we have an expectation of what our days are going to look like what our regimen was going to look like um, an expectation of being able to perform at all and when you talk about the olympics it's not like a basketball or a football season or really any other sport where it's like oh we just get to do this again in a few months like the olympics are unique that it's every four years and for this to fall at such a time uh, you know my heart not only bleeds for these athletes because of knowing what it is that they had to um, invest you know themselves their families their loved ones in order to to reach this point and to have it moved further down you know it's athletes especially you know track and field and swimmers and all these things in the Olympics like they need a finish line and that finish line has just been taken from them they don't know where it and they don't know where it is so mentally it can be extremely disruptive uh And, you know, how one handles that is uh, is going to be crucial because, I mean, you see it all the time or or you hear about all the time, I think, in in boxing or any other real uh, physical sport where they talk about like when a boxer takes a swing and he misses completely or she misses completely. Right. The how much that exhausts the fighter physically. It's one thing to throw the same punch and connect because you have an expectation. There's a transfer of energy. It's another thing to throw and miss how exhausting that is. And for many of these athletes, that's how this time feels is they put their all into something and it's completely missed because now they're sitting at home wondering how to keep up with their training, what that looks like. uh, When will they be able to get back on the field, in the water, on the court, wherever it is for them and not having any, Um, clarity I would I fall short of the word certainty just because I don't know that that's something that we're going to have for a little while but any sense of clarity is is the mental exhaustion is can be greater or feel greater than the physical that they're familiar with
1: Absolutely. And you mentioned the word structure, which is something that Sydney pointed to, you know, she has always, and she functions very well in structure. So for her, you know, they have virtual training camps right now, which is set up and they, and the league does have something in place to help these women, help these athletes during this time, which is crucial. It's necessary. I'm grateful that they have that in place, not surprised that they have it in place, Mm -hmm. but just want to make sure people know that they do have that in place for, for our players. There's also the question of how it affects the identity of the mm-hmm. player. I know that that's something that you can speak to it, when, for our listeners, when I introduced you, mm-hmm. people may have recognized the last name and <laughs> I can honestly say I've been familiar with your work for many, many years, <laughs> many, many years. Yeah. So I'm always grateful for your insight and your nuggets of wisdom that have always been, part of the thread of who you are and to see what you're doing now with humans is such a gift and such a blessing and I want people to hear what you have to say and mm-hmm. I'm certainly a person that um, that struggled with, didn't even realize I struggled with TV being my identity. So in what ways does a situation like this affect athletes identity?
4: Mm-hmm. And, and for anyone that's listening, it's kind of wondering what, I, what we even mean by identity here is uh, you could tie it to that expectation. You know, when, you, when you're familiar with doing something, uh, in the case of these athletes, the majority of their lives, literally since they were children, and then all of a sudden that thing was taken from them. You know, we, we become more familiar with this, this topic of conversation when we discuss uh, an athlete that uh, suffered a, a career-ending injury, you know, or uh, you know, gone into retirement, um, you know, that's typically when when athletes specifically are met with that reality that they are no longer the identity in which they have, uh, you know, been conditioned uh, to to operate as, you know, um, and. What quarantine is doing for so many, unfortunately, it it's the equivalent of um, the the athlete that suffers the injury, right? You can argue that most retirements are uh, a, a choice made, but it's even worse for an athlete who suffers something, some sort of consequence, some sort of experience or tragedy that cuts their careers short long before they anticipated. So there's no preparation for them emotionally, mentally. There's no, you know, what do I do with my day? You know, when, when the sport is gone, when you're no longer waking up at 5 a.m. and training for four hours and then eating a very specific meal to uh, nourish your body in a specific way so that you can go back to practice in an hour and a half and then be able to perform at night. And like, you know, there's such a structure. It's almost militant, especially if, when you're discussing a professional athlete. It absolutely is militant. And every action, from the things they they feed their bodies to the things they feed their minds to the things that they put their bodies through, um, from a functionality perspective, everything is intentional. And then all of a sudden, that's stripped away because we're not allowed to, you know, be in the facilities. We're not allowed to, uh, you know, be on the field. We're not allowed to to be anywhere. Be with our trainers. Be with our teammates. You know, there's there's a lot to be said too for um, the camaraderie that uh, is missing, you know, not just of teammates, but of opponents, you know, of the fans, you know, I know, I, I know I shared a picture with you the other day where it was a soccer stadium that, you know, it was brilliant in my opinion, it's the best of the worst case scenario, uh, where they filled the stands with cardboard cutouts of fans.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and I, I, again, I, I think it's brilliant because the reason they do it's just, it's, uh, to meet a level of psychological expectation mm-hmm. right that's when helpful. you go into a gym or you go into a onto a field and that the stands are empty you don't perform the way that you do otherwise you just you can't mm-hmm. right that's what iverson's thing is we're talking about practice right because he shows up differently to practice than you do a game and and, and these athletes are are being met head-on with this new reality that none of us anticipated. I mean, again, this has been months, mm-hmm. literally just two, three months since, you know, these athletes and all of our lives really were, were shifted so dramatically. Uh, and now getting back into it, like, how do you, how do you operate at the same level? You know, how do you get back into conditioning? I saw the NBA is, is talking about going into a 16 team tournament, which is going to be very interesting. And as a fan, it's like, yeah, do it. But as the athlete who has been out of the game, who hasn't been in the gym, not even able to be in the gym in the way that they used to, like it's, uh, it concerns me with injury risk. Uh, you know, the play is going to be sloppy as hell.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, let's just call it what it is. I,
4: it's just, you know, as an athlete, we can understand that, you know, there's, there's something real to shaking off that rust. <laughs> it takes a minute, <laughs> especially when you're used to playing at the level that these athletes are and and the, you know how consistent they play on a, on a daily or weekly basis, whatever that is for them. Uh, not having done it, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. But I, I guess for anyone listening, what I want them to understand as a fan, the responsibility that we have as fans, right, is to understand that these athletes are human, and these athletes themselves are struggling with getting back into a flow. So for us to, as uh, you know, how loud social media is, you know how loud the sports columns and the critics and and you know, the, the nosebleed boos are in a regular mm-hmm. season, you know, but for anyone that is, that is a real fan of a sport, you know, it's our responsibility to, to watch these athletes participate, but really extend some grace and understanding that they are humans getting back into it as well. And they have been disrupted and, you know, their bodies are uh, feeling ways that they didn't expect. <laughs> Some of them may be a little healthier, then, so this may have been a blessing for some. Uh, but again, I think it's our responsibility as fans to really understand that these are humans uh, trying to figure out how to get back into the flow of their, their rhythm, their game, uh, just as we all are. And, and when they get back on the court or the field or whatever it is, like, we just get to be excited to, to be able to, to witness you know, com- competition at that level again.
1: Thank you. That is, uh, that's well said. Thank you very much for your expertise. Thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for, uh, for your grace and how you take care of your clients. And to learn more about Matthew Pates, you can check him out across social media platforms at Matthew Pates and also at MatthewPates.com. This pandemic has caused trauma to many, many, many individuals. Trauma is a misunderstood word. Mental health is a misunderstood term. According to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. If you or someone you know is experiencing mental illness, contact the helpline at NAMI, 1-800-950-6264. That's 1-800-950-6264. And remember, making that call is not a sign of weakness. It's an ultimate sign of strength. Once again, Sydney and I would like to extend our appreciation to Dr. Shamard Charles, Senior Health Journalist for NBC News, and Matthew Pates, Personal Development Coach. This has been a special presentation in acknowledgement of Mental Health Awareness Month. This is Believe in Sparks on the Believe Podcast Network presented by betonline.ag.
3: Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.